Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and I am super, super excited because my co-host today is truly amazing, and I'm sure this is going to be a great episode, but I will let them introduce themselves. Hey, thanks for having me back. My name yes. is Bruce Cordell, and uh, I'm a auth- longtime author of uh, D&D, Numenera, The Strange Games and Novels. Uh, and I'm currently working as a as, as the senior designer at Monty Cook Games. Yes, many amazing things have come. I was going to say out of your brain, out of your hand. It's hard to choose, <laughs> choose which direction. <laughs> probably brain has in my hand being the instrument. I w- I would say is probably the right way to go with that. <laughs> Perfect. So today we're going to tie back to episode number one forty, world building ruins, which. No surprise, Bruce, you were the guest for that, and that was an amazing episode, and it inspired me to make Diamnastics number 115, Ruins Are Like Parfaits. And as I often do with the name, it ties back to the idea of Shrek saying that ogres are like parfaits because nobody likes onions. So there we go. For this one, I essentially just threw out a quick prompt for people to jump in and make essentially a dead civilization that could be part of a layer of really in-depth ruins. Cause that was kind of the conversation that came out of episode 140 was building ruins that aren't one dimensional, like ruins need to have depth to them to create something truly inspiring. So Bruce and I talked and we decided to highlight the post by DM Savage, who <laughs> made a post called the trash men. Good job, DM Savage. Yes, I'm I think the I think the original thing that drew me to this one is that you already want to add these layers, but the fact that because they're trashmen, like they're adding so much complexity by just being willing to take anything they find and creating their civilization out of it. Yeah, I, I really like that concept. Actually one of the very first when I first joined the MCG team, I worked on a bestiary and uh the Ninth World Bestiary it's called. And one of the very first creatures I created were essentially uh, trashmen, <laughs> although uh, they were called something different, um, and their names are escaping me right now, so I can't pull them out. But basically, <laughs> they were kind of infused with sort of uh, nanotech, and they could kind of uh, they found that the, the elements of of trash itself, uh, or at least the detritus of these prior ruined civilizations, allowed them to kind of have a, a mastery over their environment. Yeah, it's so interesting, the parallels, because it kind of folds back to like almost the inability for someone that would find this to understand it, because you almost needed to be, and I think this holds true for so many things when it relates to ruins, is like you needed to really be a part of that society to understand what you're seeing in front of you. And just like the complexity of how things are built, especially when using trash and junk. So... Uh, definitely an awesome way. And I really just, I think I love it because I love how confusing it would be to your players of like, well, but if this is from so-and-so, but this is from so-and-so, but then why were they all living together? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's uh, when you're, you're going archeologists, right? We're going through the trash piles of previous civilizations and we're getting some very skewed, uh, a sense of what the actual situation actually was. Yeah. <laughs> but with that out of the way, I think we're going to just jump right into it and start coming up with crazy ruins right now. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. 
Related to, to trash or just related to anything? Nope. Related to literally anything we can come up with. And essentially like, like build our personal parfait of like a group of adventurers walking into a ruin. Uh-huh. I see. So we could go... I will stop looking through and trying to find my trash man creature and think about what you're actually asking me. <laughs> no, you can totally bring them back in. I am I'm ready. Because that's another idea we could go with. We could actually start with the trash men being the top layer of our parfait. Sure. So then the, qu- the question we would have is what civilization did they build on top of? Uh, right. Well, it'd be interesting. So if there's a, as a trash layer on top, that would kind of, and that there's something even more interesting below, it would kind of imply that whatever was below was more durable if, if it's not also trash, right? Mm-hmm. So the trashmen may have been a later wave of civilization or people or, you know, creatures that came and uh, inhabited this particular area. And if there's a bunch of layers, like you're suggesting, and it, and if we're going to go with the idea, then maybe we're not. But maybe several each of these layers or each of these band of layers is a previous group of entities or a previous civilization either. And why did... Why did they come to this area in the first place? Maybe there's something way, way, way down at the bottom that is so enticing, whether if it's a D, if it's in a D&D style world, some sort of magic source, right? Or if it's like in a more science fiction sort of world, maybe there's some sort of resource that you, they could mine here or something that powers, you know, spacecraft or whatever. So that's a very pulling way, way back and looking at it from a very meta sort of way. Well, no, I think that that's, I mean, of course, an important question to ask is like, well, why do people keep coming back? I mean, if you have these layers, there needs to be some reason that they're coming back. I like the idea of also because you and your players are experiencing these top levels, they have no idea why these civilizations are there. I'm trying to think of who could be fun to put right under the trash bin. The first thing that comes to mind, because like you said, is something very long lived would be like a dwarven structure beneath where the trash is, because then it's all built out of stone, typically some of it underground. But I'm wondering, how did the dwarves die? How did they either? Well, not necessarily die. What was the end of their civilization? Because they could have just up and left. Well, you know, dwarves are always getting into fights. They probably shouldn't. And uh, so, I mean, we could go with the classic route, which was that they were, you know, they they moved into the area because of what lay beneath them, right? And they were mining, and of course they, you know, this is the whole Balrog story um, that something below came and you know, wiped them out. But it could be, you know, well, if we want to keep it to the ruin, I mean, that that's kind of an interesting idea. They came because of some sort of vaults. So, you know, they did all that, they created all this crazy um, architecture and stuff, mining the whole time, and there were some sort of vaults beneath that they were trying to get into the whole time and finally they did and it was some sort of you know previous civilization say or 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 group of entities um, maybe some sort of elemental beings or elemental worshipers i'm just riffing you can jump in at any point (laughs) yeah no totally sorry i was just riding the riding the wave that was your riff I, (laughs) i mean i really like that idea of um the elemental yeah, maybe some sort of like uh, these elemental masters, um, whatever their, their their cool name actually is. We can come up with that later. But And so these vaults, maybe they were like these four vaults, you know, for the four elements. And oh, the dwarves yeah. finally broke in. And of course, they managed to release some sort of um, elemental lord or uh, uh, some sort of chaos uh, entity that maybe the elementalists had been trying to uh, to keep caged. <laughs> and the dwarves, in their ignorance... 
and looking for treasure uh, actually unleashed it. And that wiped them out. Well, and I also like the idea of using the raw raw elemental power as a reason that some of the dwarven area is taken back over. So you've released the aspects of fire and ice and earth. And so they're feeding back into the civilization and kind of merging those lines between what was previously and what was before that and before that. And maybe this elemental energy is the reason that the previous civilization, these elemental masters came, right? Because they came because they knew that this was a conflux of, uh, of elemental power, like the ley lines or the telluric lines beneath the earth that they were trying to tap in order to follow their their thing. And they may have just died off, right? Maybe they accomplished the kind of things, they, they kind of caged this entity, and, you know, live, they lived there for who knows how many thousands of years. Maybe they just kind of sealed it off and moved on or went away. And there could maybe there's some sort of um, entities that exist still down in that next lower level beneath the dwarves that are kind of like undead in a way, mm-hmm. or at least uh, animated by elemental energy rather than negative energy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really like that too. Cause the idea of like, well, we can't stay here. We're probably going to draw too much attention to ourselves and people will figure out where this is. So we're going to just leave and we have these guardians here. They'll, everything will be fine. And then the dwarves move in and like, ooh, guardians, vaults. Clearly something we need is on the other side of these doors. So we should go in there. Clearly. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dwarves. You see a a door that says, don't go in here. There's danger. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm sure that's just keep us away from the treasure. (laughs) Yes. Don't push this big red button. It'll be fine. Yeah. Trying to think of another thing of treasure... That would be there. You know, I mean, we have players. They want cool stuff. I'm trying to think of fun, air quote, cool stuff we could have in these layers that they could find. Uh, well, the the dwarf thing, of course, is just full of stuff. Um, but if we go down to the next lower level where the elementalists are, they probably have all sorts of um, tools for caging elemental energy and manipulating it and stuff. Uh, you know, things of that nature. And uh, you know, if we just if we want to keep going down, you know, is 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 there something that the the elementalists came and 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 built upon? Is is there something farther below that? I mean, we're already getting pretty vast in power. Why is there this conflux of elemental mm-hmm. ley lines kind of in this area? I know. How about um, how about there was a uh, some sort of creator deity that uh, kind of fell to the earth uh, here, and there's like some sort of like vast celestial palace buried way 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 deep in the earth of this sort mm-hmm. of this proto entity like a primeval god type thing and this kind of that opens up the the dungeon that we're creating to just be this crazy crazy you know situation yeah. where they break in through the elementalist thinking oh that what are we finding here right and then we can pretty much just go insane and <laughs> in what we want to add add to this dungeon i love that idea the other thing that your thoughts like sparked in me was the idea of the cool thing they find is the ability to make things Ooh. you know with the idea of finding these elemental masters and their ability to trap and contain and use elemental energy and then go going back up a level to whatever crazy forges and construction areas that the dwarves would have had like one of the biggest 
things I could see drawing players into would be the idea of creating cool magic items or useful things as like the big draw to the area. Yeah, yeah, totally. If if devices for for forging for crafting are here, that that's very cool. Maybe there's plans. Maybe there's schematics, mm-hmm. you know, written kind of in this arcane on you know forged on arcane ruins on on you know slabs of stone whether the dwarves created them or they copied them from something they brought up from below either way right they have specific yeah. blueprints specific arcane schematics oh and i mean and having those schematics can also you know easily be the seeds that you plant for where the players feel that they need to go next you know in this mythical <laughs> unobtainium if you will that they don't understand what it is or how it could be used or anything like that but then they realize that that's why the dwarves were trying to delve deeper or they were trying to go past where the elementalists were and then that's where maybe your players break into this like the celestial palace by that creator deity and then have to start digging deeper into that to find this raw material that they could find no other place true right the uh the schematics could call for various specific weird ingredients that you know maybe they could find elsewhere in the world but are certainly found within this this proto deities thing you know this is you know maybe subconsciously since i've been working on this i've been working on a on numenera 2 uh destiny is the companion uh tome mm-hmm. to to discovery the original numenera core book and it's all about kind of that's not all about but there's a very large part about it, about uh, these new types of character types called the right. And uh, they are developing these plans to create these crazy devices based on the uh, ruins of prior civilizations, right? And there's a kind of, there's ingredients they need to use to create the stuff, which we're calling iodum. And iodum is stuff like mimetic gel and kaon dots, cosmic foam, data orbs, mm-hmm. you know, sirenium, all this, uh, this crazy stuff that uh, they need to throw together to create, you know, they don't necessarily understand what each of these things actually originally did. They just know if they put these things together in this particular way and they, you know, add some, you know, metal bracing and some screws and some casements, they can like create an item that allow them to fly, right? Or turn them invisible yeah. or, or send them to another dimension for a few for a few moments or back in time for an hour, right? So that's, that's kind of what I'm, it's kind of my whole uh, thing that I've been working on lately. Oh, it's awesome. So, yeah. You guys are interested in that. You know, here I am. Here I'm, now I'm uh, hawking for my company. But, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, go to go to the MCG site and you can see Numenera 2. I think we just uh, have a whole bunch of articles about that right right now. Yes. Because we just opened the pre-orders for it. We did the Kickstarter like a year ago. So, that's all done. Definitely go check those, those books out. I know there may – I mean, so – I don't want people to hear all these things about sci-fi and think that maybe, oh, that won't fit in my D&D game. No, no, no. Go get these books. They are truly amazing. If nothing else, read them and you will have so many new awesome ideas that will your players won't expect. It's science fantasy, really, yeah. right? I mean, the whole concept is that, you know, if technology is so advanced, you know, from these previous civilizations that went so far above a human understanding and comprehension – it's uh, indistinguishable from magic to use the Arthur mm-hmm. C. Clarke quote, right? And that's that's kind of the idea, right? So it is it's essentially magic, and you know it fits uh, a D and D style uh, a campaign pretty darn well, actually. Yeah, and it's like I said. Well, first off, it's an amazing game, so let's start there. Second off, 
you the, it, the amount of ideas that come from it that like i said your players are not expecting traditional fantasy has been around for a long time and throwing stuff in there also taking technology and making it magic is so much fun because if you take a tube and you put a permanent light spell on it and then you have a cap on it you've essentially created a flashlight <laughs> like and so those ideas are so, so much fun. And I love that you know we're kind of coming up with the idea that this layered dungeon area of civilizations is a way to have random things that your players might build and not even understand and then use them. And like you said, find out that essentially it's kind of like a jetpack or they like camouflage and now they can't be seen. Also time travel, which is amazing. Yeah, maybe these, these, uh, Elemental masters, for instance, maybe they actually were technological, right? Maybe they found this this god, you know, god fortress, and but they were trying to understand it through technology. But from the dwarves' point of view, it was elemental magic, right? You know, it's just a it's just a one person's way of manipulating the power and and forces in the universe might be different than another's, right? Yes. I mean, I feel like I feel like we've done it. I don't know how many more layers. I mean, I think we've reached the bottom of this one. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, but you know, the, there's so much there's so much room for improvisation from room to room to room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of have a general theme for each of the layers, but within that theme, it's very broad, broad and wide open. All starting with the trash men at the top. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the idea of also having you know, so we've done broad strokes, kind of the thing, kind of the idea. I guess I I would throw out to sort of, sort of close on is you can also make smaller strokes inside of that when you're painting kind of this tapestry, if you will, of well maybe a huge group of goblins moved into part of the celestial palace because no one else was there. Sure. Or you know, or something darker, or you know, but maybe in the trashman area, it's a group of kobolds because why not? They they found free stuff. Oh, I I think that's just vitally important, honestly. If you're creating something that you're gonna have players go through, you know, or or just or just a fun to read, right? You need some sort of ability for there to be. There needs to be an ability for entities inside it to have an interaction with each other and with players, mm-hmm. and for pe- players to maybe form alliances. Or find enemies, right? You know, you don't necessarily have to kill off the kobolds. You can say, hey, kobolds, tell us how to get to the next thing and we'll do Y for you, right? Tell us how to get to the next lower level or we won't kill you, right? You know, there's lots of ways to interact with these things rather than just killing them. Although, you know, fighting them is also fun. (laughs) And making them fight each other. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Awesome. So I have the most important question for you. Where can people go to find you on the internet and all of the cool stuff that you're up to? You know, if you just uh, search for BruceCordell.com, that will be my webpage. I'm on Twitter at Bruce Cordell. That's probably a pretty good place as well. So either either my website, BruceCordell.com, or my Twitter, Bruce Cordell, are two great places to, to interact with me. Yep, and definitely watch all of the stuff that comes out of Monty Cook Games, because it is fantastic. Oh, you know, that is true. We... We have actually been just to do another plug. Sorry, we we've oh, been no. doing a, a, a bunch of Twitch live yeah. video lately, and so we've been playing uh, Numenera Online. Uh, me, Monty Cook, Shauna Germain, Sean Reynolds, and and uh, Darcy Ross every other Tuesday, and then every Friday we've been playing this game called Invisible Sun, which is a pure magic game. Right? It's yeah, it's a society of magic uh, that exists outside the shadow that we think earth we think earth is real no it's just shadow the true actuality is is a, is a land of pure magic and we've been playing that game every friday night 
I think at seven o'clock uh, Pacific time. So if you check that uh, Monty Cook Games out on Twitch, you can kind of see some back back episodes of that. Mm-hmm. So that's all very fun. Yeah. Of course, if you're completely new to Numenera and you just kind of want to see what what's all about, Monty's been working with um, uh, the folks at Geek and Sundry, their Alpha Channel, and then and done a series called Starter Kit. And this is like per, it's such such high production values. It's like insane how many people oh, yeah. are working on these things. And if you go there, you can get two free months because it, it's actually a subscription channel alpha that explains why it's such high production production values but you can get two free months by entering in the code numenera when they're asking you about it and you can watch these uh, starter kit episodes about how to how to play numenera right and uh and you can watch these people kind of get into it and uh and, and see if you see if it's for you or not definitely definitely go check out the twitch channel i mean you know a bunch of small names are there like everyone you listed um it, I say that, of course, tongue in cheek, and they those games are so much fun. And definitely check out Alpha. I'll have links to everything mentioned in the show notes, so you can go check those out fairly easily. If you want to email us and tell us about your ruin parfait, you can always do so at by sending an email to dmnastics at gmail.com, or you can head over to Twitter and follow us at dmnastics. And for everything else on the network, you can head over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. And with that, let's head to our post-workout cooldown and stretch with the light bulb. Light bulb. So today on the light bulb, I have a guest. It's me. I have a friend. A best friend, maybe. Best friends <laughs> in the whole world. Workout best friends. Working out together. Who's here? It's me. It's Josh, a.k.a. Three-Eyed Sloth. It is. And today we're going to be talking about whiteboards. Yes, they are man's one of man's best friends. Some... Some might say better than dogs. I don't know. That's debatable, but. Uh, well, uh, interesting. I usually don't have to pick up after a whiteboard, so it's got that going for it. <laughs> exactly, right? You don't have to feed a whiteboard. Mm-mm. Pretty great. So, I don't know what to do after this. <laughs> well, good light bulb. Yep. So, it's a great tool. I mean, don't get me wrong. The classic graph paper and having just reams and reams with what end up looking like the scrawls of a mad person Mm -hmm. because they're just random numbers names and everything everywhere is great it's the old way of doing things but honestly a whiteboard is super super convenient i know one of my players actually found them at like the dollar spot kind of thing at target and ended up buying one for every single person at the table yeah. And so then there's like essentially like the normal printer size sheet of paper and everyone has one. So you ain't anything you want to jot down quickly rather than having to go through. And honestly, as the DM, I absolutely love it because you can easily write down initiatives, write down track HP, do all kinds of things and easily just shift that around and do whatever you want with a whiteboard. I like to use a whiteboard for things like uh, if I have things that I need to track over the course of a session for example, if a player gets a condition that I don't want to forget about because I'm just going to be honest, I forget that stuff all the time. And then later I'm like, oh, I was going to do something cool with that. So whiteboards are great for me to remember it, but also for players to remember it too. 
Uh, I also like using them to draw maps on, not necessarily like battle maps, but if I want to draw a quick kind of sketch of a, you know, like a top-down view of like some countryside or, or just something, you know, something just to get like the point across of like what, where people are or what they're doing. Whiteboard's really, really great for that. Yes. And you can definitely get them in all kinds of sizes. You know, and like I said, the one that we use at our table, again, is about the size of a printer sheet of paper. A little bit difficult to carry back and forth. So luckily, the place we play at, that's where they stay all mm. the time. But man, I really wish I had one that was super convenient. Well, do you have any ideas? I have something just for you. Yes. It's called The Noteboard. Uh, and in fact, you can check it out at thenoteboard.com. I, in fact, you can buy them in a lot of places. Amazon carries them. And I, yeah, they're they're incredible. So what it is, is that it is a essentially a series of laminated note cards, kind of. Um, they have like hexes and grids and stuff on it. And you can fold them up into little shapes and sizes and kind of customize it that way. You can unfold it into this giant huge sprawling laminated you know noteboard essentially or you know whiteboard and what i like to do with it is a lot of times like during character creation i always use it i will kind of take a, a couple of sections of the noteboard for each player and write out notes you know as they're telling me about their character and, and telling me like their backstory so i can remember for later um it's great to just it can do a modular map on it because you can draw out a dungeon you know on it and uh, you can kind of hide parts of it by just folding parts of the noteboard up. Uh, so it's like a giant whiteboard that you can completely customize its shape uh, and its size. And it fits in the palm of your hand when you completely fold it up. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. It's super cheap, too. So I love it. I had never heard of it. And I don't know how I'm not going to purchase one. Because, yeah, like you said, it's essentially if, to get to my door, it's 15 bucks. Yeah. It is folds up into the size of a three by five index card. Like, it's insane. The the ease at which you could use this and carry it. Like, I'm OK. I'm going to buy one right now. <laughs> and I'm serious. While like, we're talking. When, when you completely unfold it, it's huge. Like, you can do so much with it. It's 35 inches by 15 inches. It essentially makes a grid of seven by three. If you took that many index cards and laid them all out in a seven by three grid. That's the size that you would be working with. And of course it has one inch squares as well as hexes on one side and the other side is blank. So, I, I mean, actually I will say it's a seven by five oh, grid of index cards. I apologize. <laughs> that would explain the math right? much better. <laughs> no, but it's awesome though. So if you like, if you like whiteboards and want something that's a little bit more, portable and customizable i highly recommend checking out the noteboard yes go now as i have run already i've already done it i've already bought one so we'll see how long it takes to get here (laughs) and then i'll maybe take pictures and put it on the old twitters nice and with that i think it's time for us to turn off the lights and head out of the gym but above all of that i want to implore you the listener to join the forums and take part in these challenges and exercises as well as all the other amazing conversations being had To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some DMnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? Can I trust you will add your own cardio? Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. What are you doing? Horizontal running.